Good morning. My name is Rich McGee, as uh, Jake said, and um, not only am I privileged to be a missionary from our church, but also I was Mike and Julie's youth pastor and uh, growing up, so I have lots of stories about them, but we've made a promise that I don't tell stories about them because he has a whole lot more stories about me that I don't want told. So um, we, the history is that um, I try to say as little as possible about that, but um, I did give Jake a picture that you'll want to see sometime. It was of Mike and a, Julie were sitting together. They were dating. In fact, their first date was in our house in a college activity. And um, they end up buying that house when we left and raised their three boys there in that home. But the uh, other thing is that um, Mike was showing off at this party, as typical Mike would do. So you'll have to ask Jake for the picture. I did not give it to Mike and Julie. They, we showed it to them once, but we figured if they got it, they would never see anybody. And our goal word is that we don't tell stories, but we do give pictures out of what took place at different times. So that is, um, that is there. And um, it's my privilege to be here today. Normally I travel with my wife, but my wife is a musician and she loves music. And at Christmas time, we bought her tickets to a Lauren Daigle concert in Charlotte. We live up in the mountains above Charlotte. And um, we decided to have her and her, her sister, I mean her daughter and, and granddaughter all go to this big concert last night. And so that was scheduled way before Christmas and given to her at Christmas. And then when Mike called me and said, hey, we have this family get together in um, Orlando. And he said, the, um, and it's actually a, pro a project that a get together that Julie's mother had planned before she passed. He said, we really think we need to go. I said, yeah, you really need to go. So they're up there today, and they'll be back next weekend and pray for them as they have a good time together with the family. Jake and his wife are not there because the kids are sick, but um, the rest of them are there together. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we start looking at the Word of God this morning. Our Father God, we thank thee for the privilege of gathering here today. We thank thee for the privilege of, of coming together and worshiping and, and praising your name and meeting friends and spending a lunch together later and Father, we just pray that as we do this, that, Father, we be challenged by the word of God. And give me the words to say and, and the thoughts to present to Father about this young couple or this couple in the Bible and the impact they had in the mystery and even the impact they have to us today. In thy name we pray, amen. Now let me say this afternoon, we're going to do a, um, what we call a walk through the Bible. We're going to take the chairs, put a circle, and we're going to lay on the map uh, uh, the, the Old Testament story of Israel, all the way from um, the uh, Allah, or Jeremiah, excuse me, Abraham leaving uh, over clear over in Iranian Iraq country and coming into the Promised Land, all the way through the end of the book of the Old Testament. And we're going to do it on the floor. We'll have a fun time together. It'll only be about 30 minutes, and the kids can come because we have them participate, and they're part of the program and stuff like that. And depending on where you sit will be what nationality you are tomorrow or this afternoon. So that'll be right after supper or after lunch, and hope you'll be able to stay for that. But part of the reason I do this Old Testament walkthrough because the Old Testament, in fact, is the whole Bible is full of stories. And we think the Old Testament is full of more stories than the New, Test story, than the New Testament. It is although there's great passages that talk about teaching, but the reality is that the Bible is full of stories. And we have to realize that that is so important because it's stories that tell about everything. If you look back at your life, and just think about your life, it's really all these events and these stories. In fact, it's, I'm convinced, and when I get to heaven, if I'm wrong, you can tell me about it there, but uh, that one of the things we'll be doing is we'll be sitting down and listening to other people's stories. 
fact is, as a church, you guys are greatly involved with Samaritan's Purse, packing the boxes for, for the kids around the world. And I am totally convinced that you'll sit with kids who got the box you packed. Because God knows all that stuff. You know, it, that's not going to be a problem for him to put that together. He, you're going to get to sit and listen to stories of kids when they open that box. Now, we all wish we could go. My daughter works for Samaritan's First, and she gets to go and, and, and to some of the presentations and, and see the kids getting the box, and she said it is the most motivating thing for her, and that's part of her job. But we don't get to do that. We get to see the videos, and you can go on the Samaritan's First, but you'll find children that will come to you and said, you don't know who I am, but I know who you are. And you get a chance to sit down and listen to those kids and how their life was changed by that, how their family was changed, how possibly a church was started. And that's going to be just one of the many things. If you teach Sunday school, there's going to be some kid, because I have a, a teacher in Sunday school. I don't know her name, but I have a picture in my mind of this lady who had a great impact in my life. And actually, it wasn't until a couple years later that she taught me that I got saved. But that story of her and, and there's so many things I don't remember about those days. I just remember some of the bad things, and I actually had some troubles growing up as a kid. And um, some of those stories I try to forget. But some of those stories that I don't know now, she'll remind me. And we'll get to sit and talk with those people, with my parents, with other family members of stories we forgot. So much of heaven will be praising God through the stories of people who impacted our life for Christ and people that we got to impact because of what we did in ministry. And so the Old Testament is, is part of that. I like telling stories. And today we're going to tell a story about a couple. Let's go to Acts chapter 18. This is a very interesting couple because it's a couple that appears in the New Testament. It's Aquila and Priscilla. They appear six times in the Bible. And the interesting thing about them is they're always together. Like my wife and I like to travel together. We spend most of our time in ministry traveling together now. We travel quite a bit and uh, get to go various places, both in the States and around the world, ministering with missionaries. We, we are kind of a support for missionaries. Uh, after being 40 years in a local church, we've been now working with missionaries, both international and America. Uh, we call, we're, I'm actually called the director of a soul care program. Our goal is to help missionaries with their soul, with their personal inner feelings and stuff like that. And I'm not a counselor, but we do a lot of help and encouragement to people. And the, um, this couple, everywhere they're found in the Bible, and they're found six times, everywhere they're always found together. And so we're going to go to Acts chapter 18, and we'll read these couple of verses there. Acts chapter 18, verse 1, 2, and 3, I'll read here. And after these things, what's after these things? This is the second missionary journey. You know, Paul and Barnabas were on the first one. The second one now is, is Paul and Silas and some others. And they've just, in chapter 17, they're at Rome. Remember that big time when he preached in front of the, at the Acropolis, one of the big things there, and he preached the gospel. And he started off and says, you guys have a, a statue for an unknown God. And I know who that God is. And they go, whoa, tell us about that. Well, his name is God the Father, and Jesus is his son. And he goes, oh, wait a minute, wait, no, no, no. But he preaches that, and they actually listened to him for a while. Then they started getting in trouble and yelling back and forth and whatever. But that's going to be a great story when we get to heaven. What was it like for Paul to stand there 
And if you've been to Rome, you've been to some of the events there, some of those theaters are phenomenally large, but they're so well designed, one person can speak to a few thousand people because of the way the acoustics were built. And he was there preaching to these people. What was that like? What was it like to be Paul up in front? What was it like to someone sitting in that, that seat? What, what if a small kid was there with his parents? What does he remember from that? So we'll get to heaven, we'll figure that, we'll get to listen to those stories. But um, now in chapter 18, they've left, and after these things, Paul had departed from Athens, and came, and it was Athens in Rome where he was at, and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born, born in Pontius, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius, who was the Roman emperor at that time, had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. So now in Ephesus, and Paul has to leave Corinth and Athens, and he leaves, I mean, he leaves Athens in, in Rome, and he comes to, in Greece, and he comes to Ephesians, Ephesus. When he gets there, of course, you know, he travels usually with an entourage, but this time there doesn't appear to be many people traveling with him. But it, remember what he did as a job to support himself. He was a tent maker. And those cultures, and much happened even somewhat today, People of the same job came together. In fact, there's in New York City today, there's still places in New York City where you have in the fabric area. We, we lived in Pennsylvania for a couple years, and we had people there who were literally, um, in the fall particularly, they, were, um, they collected skins of animals from a lot of the hunters in the area. They tanned them and prepped them. And they literally would take, on Sunday night, they took a van load of, of fur and took it down to the, um, to the district in New York City and parked there and slept overnight in their van. And the first thing Monday morning, they'd get, they would start selling their furs street to street. They literally carried them on their back, walking up and down to about 30 different people that bought their fat fur, furs, depending on what a guy needed and what they had. And they negotiated right there because there was a certain area in New York where all these, where all this, these people that were doing this type of work lived. And so that's what we see in the Old Testament, too, is that Paul was a tent maker. So what does he do? He goes to the tent maker area where the tent makers are. In verse 3, it says, And because he was the same craft, he abode with them and, and worked with them, for they were their occupation were tent makers. So very likely when Paul gets there to Ephesus, he goes to the area where there's tent makers, and he's looking for someone who will hire him that he will work for and also probably can live with. Stay with them. And this couple, Pr Priscilla, or Quilla and Priscilla, are there, and he starts working for them and living with them. And that was not uncommon in that culture. They're like, be like apprentice, and we assume that Paul wasn't his business because he's, he's moving around too much. He's working for this couple, Quilla and Priscilla. Now, the interesting question that comes up were they Christians? Truth is, it didn't matter. In fact, it's we don't know from reading scripture, and as closely as we read it, we don't know if they were Christians at that time. He was looking for a job and a place to stay. That was his number one or two things. I need a job, I need some money, I need to get a job going so I can do my ministry, and I need a place to stay. So he was staying with this couple, and we don't know if they were believers or not, but during that process, they came to know Christ as their Lord and Savior, and we'll see that very much very on. And they may have already been believers. Maybe that's how they met, how they were in a prayer group together or something like that. We don't know. Those are stories we'll get to heaven. We'll find out in a little more of it. But they're now, he's now living with this couple. And again, as I said, every time 
this couple has mentioned, their names are always together. There's never just a quote, never just Priscilla. They're always as a team together. And we're not saying that every couple always ought to minister that way, but this is a great picture of a team working together. Husband and wife, um, and they do different things, and my wife and I do much different things, but we do a lot together. And we are very different. In fact, is I say I'm probably as far away from like my wife is as far as talent and stuff like that than anybody. She's a musician. I'm not quite tone deaf. When Mike said, could you lead music Sunday morning? I said, not if anyone will sing, because <laughs> if I sing, they won't. But um, I don't sing very well. I have a hearing issue. Um, my wife loves to play the piano. In fact, if she tunes her own piano without even instruments, she can just listen to it and play it. I have no idea what, how you do that. She's also an artist. I'm partially colorblind. She's also very creative. I'm not, and yet I'm more into athletics. Because my wife, to this day, after being married many, many years, she does not know what four yards, I mean four downs and ten yards have to do in a game of football. <laughs> she has no idea what that means. So we're very different, but yet we work together and have a great time working together. And so here we have this couple, Quill and Priscilla, found in scripture, they're always together. And then verse 4 says, and he, being Paul, reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Greeks and the Jews. The interesting thing is here is that we don't see Priscilla and Quilla doing that. They were tent makers. As far as we know, throughout all of scripture, and they appear in uh, six different times in the passages of the Bible, every single time they're working at their secular job. They have a house church. They do some other things like that. But they're tent makers. That's, as far as we know, that's all they ever did. And so people, some people say, well, why was Paul a tent maker? Well, in that culture, in those days, boys always went to two different schools. As very young children, they started off in the Greek, I mean the Hebrew school, where they would learn the Old Testament. They'd um, they would memorize massive passages of Scripture. They would understand what the Old Testament said. In fact, is if you ever get tired, I mean, have trouble with insomnia and not being able to go to sleep, pick up the book of Levit Leviticus and start reading it. And there's probably nothing else in the world that puts us to sleep faster than Leviticus. The interesting thing is Jewish boys had to memorize two-thirds the book of Leviticus because that was all the rules and regulations of, on dress, on food, on culture, and everything they did. So they had to memorize it. So when I read the book of Leviticus, I say, praise God I don't have to memorize this stuff because that's not how we live today and it wasn't, it's not our culture. Now, there's some good things in there, but it's not what I want to read. I mean, it's not that I want to live that way. So here we have this Quill and Priscilla. There's a couple. They're working together. And Barnabas comes to, uh, Paul comes to live with them as a tent maker. Well, the thing is, Paul was this high, he's got like a PhD. He's highly educated. What's he doing doing tents? Because when you were as, as a boy growing up in a Jewish home, you went to two schools. One was the Hebrew school, and the other one was a blue-collar job. Every Jewish boy was to learn a trade to work with his hands. He may not live at that trade. He may not do that all of his life, but he did that. Remember Jesus. What trade did he have? He was a carpenter, yeah. He was known as a carpenter, more than he was known as a, as a preacher until the last three and a half years of his life. His, most of his life just spent as a carpenter. 
Paul probably spent a good portion of his young life probably even paying his way through school to get up in the very higher levels. He was, he was making tents. And I don't know if that meant sewing them or cutting them or assembling them. I, I have no idea what it took in those days to build the tents. But the idea is that he had two trades. He was a Bible scholar, and all, each Jewish boy was supposed to be a, pretty much a Bible scholar. And also he was supposed to be, have a labor that you worked with your hands. And that was always the culture there, is that working with your hands is a good thing. And I think so too. I, like, I have some hobbies. I like to work with my hands. Not, not very good. You know, I like the carpenter work, but I'm not the trim guy. I'm the frame guy to get, build the stuff or put the roof on and things like that. But the idea is that I will learn to work with your hands. It's a good break from what I do as, as a pastor. So here we have Quill and Priscilla, and they're always together, always working together, always doing things together. And then the next thing we see toward verse 18. Acts chapter 18, verse 18. And after, and Paul, after this, and again, what was happening? He had been preaching in Ephesus for a long enough time. He decides to leave. So after this, Paul tarried there a good while and then took his leave with the brethren and sailed on Assyria and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shown his head in Caesarea, for he had a vow. For some reason, we don't know. And this is what, when we get to heaven, we'll find out. He shaved his head, Paul did, because he made a vow with a person. That was one way in those days you stood out by shaving your head on purpose. And you make it a vow to say, I will not, I will not wear hair until a certain things happen or like that. There were certain vows. We don't even know what the vow is, but we know that happened. But the other thing is, when he went, when he traveled, he took with him Aquila and Priscilla. They came with him on, on this boat trip because... My position is he had worked with them long enough that he had trained and discipled them to be one of his helpers. He was always doing that. He was picking up Timothy and Silas and all these other people by them. And you just go through the Bible. These are different people that Paul discipled, trained them, got them going into ministry. Well, he evidently decided Ephesus wasn't a good place for them. Let's go and take off with them. So he takes off. Excuse me. And they, now they came to Ephesus. Sorry, I, I flipped that around. They came to Ephesus and... Aquila and Priscilla are there with them. Now, if you read real close in the passage, there's something different in this passage. Look at that passage again about Priscilla and Aquila. Her name is first. Now, that's a big thing in Greek literature. In the Bible, in the, in the Greek side of the Bible, whenever you listed a group of people's names, he always listed the most important people first. In fact, when you think of the disciples, um, 12 disciples, who's always listed first? Peter, right? Then the next three, who was always the next three? Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John. Throughout Scripture. In fact, it's, it's everywhere in Scripture except one time. So the language is such that if you were writing a story of an event, you would write the name of the most important person first. And so it was the first time we hear, see Aquila and Priscilla, it's Aquila first and then his wife second. Now in this passage, it flips. And that means there's something in the event where it's flipped. A good example, the only time in the Bible 
where it's not Peter, James, and John, is in the first time in Matthew, I think it's Matthew 4 or 5, and I'll have to look it up to see for sure, but it's the first time the disciples are called in Matthew as a group together. It, it, Peter was first, but the second one was a guy by the name of Andrew, which was Peter's younger brother. And Peter's younger brother actually met Jesus first, and he told Peter, he said, this, here's this guy, you need to go talk to this guy, because he's the guy you're looking for. And so as a result of that, right after that event happened, the first listing of the disciples was put, and it was Peter first, Andrew second, James and John, James and John. And so it wasn't that the fact that um, there was a major change, it's just that Andrew was such an important figure at that time because he had introduced his brother to Jesus that the scripture, the re recorder of the scripture said, and Peter's first, Andrew's second, James and John are third. From that time on, it was Peter, James, John, Peter, James, and John. So the structure of the apostles, the disciples, were very much a limited group. Now, the interesting thing is the other nine that most of us can't probably repeat all their names, but Philip was almost always the fourth one, and then a couple other guys, then the rest were there. But sometimes their names switched, and we don't know why, but there had to be something there. So the question is, why at this time did the writer of this scripture, being a Greek, it was very important to him to say that Priscilla's name is first, not Aquila. And that was a male culture. I mean, much more dominated male than we are today. Because there are times when most of our culture today, you talk to a, a Richard Yvonne McGee. You know, that, my name's first, my wife's second. She accepts that, it's no big deal. Sometimes, if you come to our house, and you come to our house for a meal, you really should say, it's Yvonne, Rich, and McGee. You know, Yvonne, Yvonne and Rich, McGee. Because, why? Because my wife has prepped meals, she's cleaned the house, got everything ready. The house has been designed by her, because every house we move into, my wife is a, um, we put our kids through college by flipping houses. My wife is very good at that. She does not want to do a TV show, but she does <laughs> want to make a little money and actually help pay her, <laughs> help our kids through school. And so any house you go into, if she's been there very long, it's Yvonne's house. Because she's changed stuff, she's decorated stuff, she's modified stuff. Is, we talk about the house that we live in right now, that we are still, been there two and a half years, and we're now remodeling it to make a retreat center so that missionaries can come and stay with us when they're going through problems. But the first thing she did was the kitchen. Women, kitchen's number one, right? Bathroom's number two. She went in the kitchen with my son, my son-in-law, who helped us move, and they worked all day with her, and they started off with a chainsaw and an ax. And every single thing came out. The sinks came out, the walls came out, the floor came out, the ceiling came out. It was all bare studs when they got done. Well, we said, good, now we start rebuilding. And that was my job. So if you come to our house, you probably can very easily say it's Yvonne and Rich's home because of the, how it's happened. In fact, my wife has even bought homes when I'm not wor with her in the realtor. That's how confident I am she's good at doing that. So the question is why? Why is Priscilla's name first? Well, the truth is we really don't know. We can, we can guess here a little bit, but probably what's happening here is they're on a boat trip. They're traveling from Ephesus, or going to Ephesus from, from another place, and the question becomes, why is her name first? Well, if you've ever been on a cruise, cruises are nice, a lot of fun, all the food you can eat, uh, lots of activities going on. 
But the idea that um, that wasn't the way cruises were in those days. Because when you got on a boat in that culture, you were responsible for your own food. In fact, my wife likes to read about the wives of the early presidents and the early leaders of America. She's got numerous books on those topics. She talks about one of the, one of the president's wives who decided to go to visit some family in Europe after her, as her husband was president. And she talks about how the fact that they had a young child with them, a brand new baby, and so she brought on the cruise with her a cow. Because the only way to have good milk, because she was not able to feed the child herself, she brought a cow on board a ship. Now, if you walked onto a cruise boat today and you were pulling your cow with you, what's the chances of you making it past the first guard? None and zero. But in those days, that was acceptable. That was even just a few hundred years ago. And now we're talking thousands, a couple thousand years ago. And so literally, when you got on a boat, they figured you had to find your own place to sleep. If you slept on the, on the deck, some type of put a, uh, it was read stories, they had like a little hammocks, stuff like that, and you would take the hammock down when you're done, and you get ready. And the woman was probably very much involved with that. You know, and the men were probably talking, and the women were working, which is often half of the case. But, um, but we, so that's why, but we don't know. But the issue is that here is a couple, there's so much of a couple together, that they're always mentioned together, but it's often, her name is first. In fact, of the six passages of scripture, three times her name's first, and three times his name is first. And so you say, why is that the case? We really don't know, but when I get to heaven, and I have a whole bunch of questions, I used to put them on my computer, and I realized my computer is never gonna make heaven, so I just try to memorize them and think, who do I wanna talk to, and who, who, what questions do I have to ask him? And one of my questions, Priscilla and Quillen, what was, why was your name first? Why was that happen? You know, and I have no problem with that. If you come to my home and you have a meal, you ought to thank my wife, because she's probably cooked the meal, probably pepped it, cleaned the house, got all that stuff ready, and more so than me. But yet, not always the case. So we'll see that later. Now let's go down to the end of the chapter, of chapter 18, and another episode takes place. And there's really two events that we're going to look at today about Aquila and Priscilla. So now they're in Ephesus. They've started a house church together. We learned that from later past scripture. And Paul has left them to go somewhere else because that's what Paul did. He'd go into town, he'd train some people, get things going, get established, and he'd go off to some other place, which is very good. And that's why we see such a great expansion of the gospel out of Europe and a little bit of Asia during that time because Paul had traveled all these places, started churches, got them going, got good people trained, took off, went. Now sometimes it took him a couple years, sometimes he was there as little as a month or two and got things going. So in Acts chapter 18, verse 24, it says, and a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, of course that's northern Egypt, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. Now, now, Alexandria was not only a northern on the coast of, of Egypt, but it also was considered the largest library in the world at that time. It was considered the highest and most strongest educated group of people that lived there and lived in this library, worked in the library and things like that, of anywhere in the world. So here comes this guy, a certain Jew named Apollos, 
He was born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in scriptures, and he comes to Ephesus, and he's preaching. But this man was instructed in the way of the Lord and be fervent in spirit, and he spoke and taught diligently about the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So, John the Baptist, of course, was the precursor to Jesus. He was there for the old. He was there as an Old Testament prophet, teaching. Get ready, get ready, get ready. The Lord is coming. Get ready, get ready, get ready. The Lord is coming. In fact, is as we look at the Old Testament in our Bible study after lunch today, the whole Old Testament is getting ready for Jesus. I mean, it's all for Jesus. It's all for what's going to take place when the gospel starts and Jesus comes. The Old Testament is getting this nation of Israel, hopefully getting them to live and do the things they're supposed to do, to be a precursor and be the family of Jesus when he is born. John was doing the same thing. But here's this man, Apollos, brilliant, educated, probably six foot five and sharp looking dude. I'm just, yeah, kind of, that's the idea we think about. He's very eloquent, he's fervent, and people are listening to this guy. But all he knows is the story of John the Baptist. He's, tell, he's telling people, get ready, the Lord is coming. Now, we think this has been years after Jesus had died in, in, in resurrected heaven. But because of the culture and because of the lifestyle, the, the gospel didn't always get transported very fast. Like today, something happens in, in the coronavirus in China. We know about it 20 minutes later. You know? It could be 20 years or more before things traveled, and especially if you were in a special school and the school said, now we teach about the baptism of John and stuff like that. We don't know about Jesus. We've heard a little bit about him, but we don't know about it. So we're not going to teach him until we figure it out. Somehow we don't know. But Apollos is preaching, repent, get baptized, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming, the Messiah is coming. So here sits in this big preaching session, we figure he's out preaching somewhere, and we listen to Apollos, and they say, repent, get baptized, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming. And they lean on and says, he doesn't even know about Jesus. He didn't know about the fact that he came, he lived, he taught, he died, he rose from the dead, he's now in heaven. He didn't even know that. What are we going to do? And he looks over to his wife and says, we're tent makers. We're blue collar. How do we approach a guy with a PhD who's sharp, who's brilliant, who's attractive, who's fervent, who's just this dynamic guy? We're going to try to convince him he's wrong. No, nah, ain't going to work. They sit there for a little longer. And this is what, when we get to heaven, we'll find out as we sit down and listen to them, what it was like for them to listen to this guy preach and talk about God, but doesn't know the whole story. He probably, my thing is, Paulus leans over, or excuse me, Aquila leans over to his wife and says, uh, honey, do we have any lamb stew at home? Let, let's let's, let's have it, ask him over for supper. And the best way to approach a single guy about talking to him is with a good meal. And you can't beat a lamb stew uh, dinner cooked by Priscilla, probably, because she cooked probably on the, on the boat. She knew how to cook. We all know the whole story. That's kind of what I'm thinking about. But for some reason, they invite him to their home and sit down and talk with him. And they're always working together. And she's probably in the kitchen finishing 
Um, um, the meal, they sit and talk, and this is what they talked about together. And so the Bible says that they came, this man was instructing the way of the Lord, became fervent in spirit, spake, taught diligent things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John, and began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom Priscilla, Aquila and Priscilla had heard, and they took him with him. And there again, his name is now first this time, probably because he's the one who said, I'm going to go up and talk to him, invite him over for lunch today or for supper or whatever's gonna, whatever our next meal is. And it says, they took him onto them. And the conference there is they invited him into their lives. And very likely that was their home in the tent. Or they lived in a tent or, or actually a building now. We don't know. And expounded him on the way of God more perfectly. Here's this couple. Blue collar, the only thing we ever know they did was what? Tent makers. Now, they, as a Jewish boy, he studied the scriptures, and that would have been the Old Testament, knew nothing of Jesus, got saved sometime during his life, got discipled by Paul, who actually was there and saw, and got to see the resurrected Lord in the, in the, on the road to Damascus. And he learns the whole truth. He teaches this couple. He trains them. And Paul now is taken off. If Paul would have been there, they said, hey, Paul, we want you to go talk to this guy. But Paul wasn't there. And that's what Paul did. He came and got you started and let you go. And so now they've got this problem. This guy who's sharp, who loves the Lord, who knows what's going on, but he doesn't know about Jesus. So they bring him onto them. And that, that phrase there is very, very key there. It says, they took him onto them. It was, they kind of uh, developed him. Maybe they kind of adopted him as a, as a young son or something. I don't know. We don't know his age. Don't know any of that. And expounded unto him the way of the Lord more perfectly. Hey, we love your message today, Apollos. You, we love how you preach. We love how you're able to communicate so well and so clearly. But let us tell you some things. This guy, Jesus, really has already been here. Who was he? And, I, and I'm sure it took hours. It may have taken days. We don't know. Because here's this guy who's been trained. He's got a PhD. He's got the highest degrees. And this couple, blue-collar tent makers, by bringing him into their home, bringing him into their lives, they convince him that this is not the full truth. Not that you're wrong. You just haven't finished the rest of the story. And it says, and when he was disposed to pass on Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, when he came, he helped them much more, though he believed through grace. And that was basically, Apollos leaves. He's a traveling single, probably a guy. We don't know if he's married or not. But he's traveling around preaching and teaching. And this great, dynamic, fervent, great speaker is communicating. But now he's communicating the whole gospel. And they write to other disciples, hey, take this guy. Let him preach. He really knows what's going on now. So... Here we have the story of Quill and Priscilla. Six times they appear in scripture. In fact, the other three that we're not looking at uh, are passages because they're just mentioned by a comment and they're actually in the last chapter. Let me read my notes here. The last chapter of, of Romans. You know, at the end of his books, a lot of times he would say, greet this guy, greet this guy. Three of those times he, re he said, greet Aquila and Priscilla. And one time he says, Priscilla and Aquila. And another time he says Priscilla and Aquila, so it's three times in each person's, one is blah, blah, the other, and then, and then in 
In Romans, he does that. In 1 Corinthians, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, was the very last book that he wrote. He says, greet this couple. Thank God for what they're doing. So three times in scripture, Paul brings them up and mentions their name. And they're, they're tent makers. We never know, never hear of one thing that he taught. We don't know if he taught, he might have been not been a teacher. You know, some blue collar guys aren't the best teachers. Some of them are good teachers. We don't know. He could have been a great teacher. We don't know. But scripture doesn't ever talk about that. It talks about his tent making. It talks about how he and his wife always are together. He talks about how the fact that they invited this highly educated person onto them, into their own lives, into their home, into their meals, into their lifestyle together, to teach him more completely the work of Jesus. So as we look at scripture, and we look at this story, we have stories of this young couple, and we learn that we are to be teams working together. Very rarely does Jesus ever do anything alone. Rarely ever does Jesus ever tell his disciples to do anything alone. They were always to work in teams. They were always to work in groups. As churches, we know the benefit of a church is we're here together. This is not a solo operation for anybody. You know, we can't build this church. We can't do these things. We can't impact this community by ourselves. It's a team. And sometimes it's husband and wife. Sometimes it's a, a group of guys together. Sometimes a group of women together. Sometimes a group of ch- kids together. We impact the world together as a team. And here's this couple. When we get to heaven, I'm going to sit down. It's going to be high on my list. Uh, people I want to go see and talk to. Say, hey, what was this like? What, what was it like being with Paul? You know, when did you really get saved? What was it like? How tough was it to get Apollos to come to your home or come to your family or come however it worked to sit with us and talk with us? Hey, here's this guy who's highly educated. And you guys are tent makers. They were courageous. Thank God that, that Apollos was, a, was a open to being taught. Think about that. How would you, you've got this degree, you've got all this training, and you're this great speaker. And this couple who know how to sew real good and build tents says, hey, come over. And they start talking to tell you about Jesus. Maybe you have heard a little bit about, but you weren't sure. And they tell him the whole story. So as we look at the scripture, the stories are important because they teach us how to live. They teach us how people before us lived as great motivation and encouragement. And our encouragement today is that we look at our lives and see how can we, as a team, whether it's with a church, whether it's with someone else in the church, whether it's with our family, work together and be part of a team and build this. You know, this church is well known for its Christmas boxes. What would it like if one person said, I'm going to do them all this year? Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, not a chance. I mean, that, that is not even, even a potential for, it'd probably be a full-time job for 10 people all year long besides 100 people working it throughout the year or whatever this church does. So we need to realize that God has called us to work as a team. God has called us to work together and be an encouragement for that. But also to realize that there are people around us who are like Apollos. They know some of the Bible, but they don't know the whole thing. Are you a person who completely knows the scripture well enough that you know who Jesus is? That Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on the cross for your sins? It's an option. It's, it's a gift. It's not a gift you don't have to God doesn't force you at any time. So you must be saved, that you have to do it. But it's a gift, a great gift. And the more you understand about that gift, the more you realize, I need that gift. 
because we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. We've all had great failures in our lives. And yet God says, I love you, I care for you, I forgive you, and I welcome you into my heaven. If you don't know the Lord as your Lord and Savior, talk to one of us today. Let's sit down and, and give you the more complete story of who God is, what the world is all about, and what life is all about. Let's pray together.